Good morning. I, I couldn't find a regular water, so I'm not endorsing this. It's just, if you see this up here, you know how they do, they put things up so you could, I'm not doing that. <clears throat> Good morning, it's nice to see everyone. Uh, my name is Dave Howard, I'm one of the elders here and I'm part of the teaching team. And uh, I hope to do a little teaching today. May God be praised. Um, so if you have been with us, you already know we've been doing Samuel, or at least we've begun in Second uh, Samuel. But I'm going to do a quick review because I think the portion of scripture that you just heard, I think that's the best part. As a matter of fact, let, let's let's do this quick review. Um, way back in First Samuel 16, right? We see by God's direction that God chooses someone that nobody else would choose, right? Remember that, right? He chooses David. He's, he goes through Jesse's household and he sees all these men and he's like, no, not, that's not it. And Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. And from that point on, this is quick now, David plays in the king's court. David sees many victories on the battlefield. David becomes part of the royal family, right? He marries into the royal family through Saul's daughter. David then becomes a fugitive of that very same king and the army he served with. David goes and has to move and live amongst his enemies. Um, Saul gives David's wife away, right? Um, David ends up mourning the loss of his best bud, Jonathan, right? Along with his dad, King Saul, right? And that's the turning corner of the end of 1 Samuel. And when we enter into 2 Samuel, we realize that that anointing that David would be king is now beginning to show, right? Because now David is the king of Judah, at least in part, right? He's, He's almost king of the whole thing, right? So David is the king of Judah, but David is now presiding over a kingdom that is in a civil war. He's seeing war happen between his own countrymen. So I am very happy to say that our little portion of scripture brings into view God's faithfulness, and we're gonna, now we get to see the circle complete, right? We're gonna see that after 21 years approximately, since that oil came down David's face, this is gonna happen. It's gonna happen today. So what I'm gonna do in a very uncharacteristic manner is, I think I would like for us to have dessert first. Then we'll do dinner. So I'm gonna start at the very best part of the story and then we'll back up. In 2 Samuel 3, verse 20, it says, when Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner, verse 21, said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my Lord the king, so that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. That's it. Anointed king. Here we are. We, we, the circle is complete. So um, I'm going to call the ushers up and we'll collect communion and we'll, we'll get you guys out of here early. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a great way to finish. 
But there's a little bit of meat in there before the dessert, right? And we gotta get through this. And it's a little sinewy, if you would. We're, we're gonna chew through this. And it's a, this is a really, when you look at it, a very small, short uh, passage. There's conflict, betrayal. There's, there's all the things that we actually have to deal with in life before we reach that point of restoration. And if you have listened to the last two Sundays, um, I think this kind of ties in good with that. Um, Lee did While We Wait two Sundays ago and Fallenness, Faithfulness. This is kind of just kind of caps it off. As a matter of fact, if you remember last week, last week tended to give us a little focus on the captain of David's army, Joab. Remember that? A little focus on the character of who he is. And this week, in this little passage, I'm going to focus on Abner. Right? Abner is of the house of Saul. He is the captain. So he's kind of like the counterpart to who Joab is. So when we look at uh, 2 Samuel, right at the beginning, chapter 3, verse 1, what do we see? Civil war has been going on for a bit. Right? Um, countrymen fighting countrymen. And as a matter of fact, the north and the south, um, we're looking at about seven and a half years approximately. And the next line is a Hebraic style of, of, of speaking. Basically, the next line says this. David increased in strength, and the house of Saul increased in weakness. Doesn't say that there, but that's the Hebraic. An increase in strength and an increase in weakness. And we have to ask ourselves, what strength are we talking about? What is the strength that David increased in? Well, we know, spiritually speaking, David has been contacting God. He's been, in, you know, he, he's been plugged in. He asked God where to go. God said, Hebron, should I go to Hebron? Yep. So we, we know that spiritually there is, there is a, there's a, a link there. Militarily, we know that even though they're in a civil war, and, and to kind of give it context, it's not like, ah, oh, constantly fighting, 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 fighting. It's skirmishes. You know, every time we kind of see a small group, small fighters, group of fighters, there's these skirmishes that occur, and there's always tension at the border. And in these skirmishes, David's guys come out on top all the time. So we, we, we have that. Now, you got to remember something else. In this time of waiting, going back to Pastor Lee's message, remember, David was just like a guy with about 400 other dudes hanging out in a cave and kind of making their way through, right? It was, it, it was very ragtag, it was very raw. David now is the king of Judah, right? The whole calculus has changed. He's a king now over the people and He's got to develop that skill set. So you have his leadership developing. But the most important place we see that he's expanding is in his family. This is the strength of his family. And it says, six sons were born to David in Hebron. I'm going from verse, right after verse number two. It says, his firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahimnoam of Jezreel. His second, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal. Now remember, he came to Hebron with two wives. And while he was there, let's go to wife number three. The third is Absalom, the son of Maacah, 
daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth is Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth is Shephtiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth is Ithrium, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were all born to David in Hebron. Now, the prevailing question is, and I'm going to answer this, is, you know, we're like, wait a second. David is a man after God's own heart. And he's got all these wives. And the, the question probably on your mind is, why can't I have extra wives? <laughs> right? right? No, no, that's not the question. That's not the question. The question really is how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? And, and I, I want to just, I, I call this section in my notes of wives and concubines because realize that uh, within monarchs, this is typical. And a concubine, just so you could kind of put that in the right framework, because you will see that word a lot. A concubine isn't like a girl from down the street. A concubine was considered like a subwife, but still, part of the kingdom. You understand? There's, 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 so there, there, there's, lest there be any disrespect there, that's what a concubine was. But, so as Pastor Lee has shown us, you know, through these last couple of weeks, listen, Samuel is the real deal. The book of Samuel 1 and 2 is real. It, it's a very plain view. It's not polished at all. It's not refined. It, it, it is just what you see is what you get. Hence, when you look at texts where you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You're not going to see like these were born to David in Hebron against the command of God. You're not going to see these kind of correctional things that you would see in a New Testament epistle. And, and, and the pastor had pointed that out last week. But we all know Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This was probably known by then. Now, the Mosaic law was the guiding light, right? The Mosaic law has no prohibitions against polygamy or polygamous relationships. But it does give guidance, though. And in Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 17, it gives a framework of how a king, which had not yet been established, should work. And I'll, I'll start with 14 because it's interesting that this is almost like a prophetic kind of forecasting. It says, when you enter the land that the Lord God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. That's the book of Samuel. That's exactly what happened. But I want to jump to verse 17. It says, regarding that king, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And we see that in David's son Sam, uh, Solomon um, when we touch that point. <laughs> but, so you don't have these prohibitions per se, right? The same way divorce is a great example, right? When, when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, what did he do? And they asked about divorce, he went right back to Genesis. He says, this is what God wants. But you guys want divorce, why? Because you're what? You have hard hearts, man. You got hard hearts. And you could extend that right into this. Now, if all that is true, why do it? Why have such a huge family? Well, when you have a big family in a monarch, and this is 
you know, any monarch, and you could go into Europe, the same thing. Big family points to virility. And where you see virility, it's often equated with might or strength. As a matter of fact, there's a power and a greatness from the audience, from the people, when they see a king and his kingdom fruitful with many wives, many concubines, many babies. But more importantly, these babies were heirs. And you had to have a lot of heirs because boys and girls didn't, didn't have a high survival rate back in those days. They didn't. Whether they were brought up to be soldiers and died or disease got them, they didn't have a high survival rate. So you wanted a lot of heirs. And one of the main reasons, as we will see, David does this in two accounts, is you married so that you could have security with other nations. So that third wife, right, Ma'aka, uh, uh, the father is the king, Talmir of Gesher. Gesher's all the way up to the north, right? Um, Judah's in the south. I want to marry someone that's going to have peeps up in there in case I need assistance. And that type of marriage has happened often. Now let's talk about the dark side. And we will see this. David was not a good dad. And I think that's a very humbling thing when we look at that and we consider that. David was not a good dad, and you see really the highest levels of dysfunction when you have between Amnon, the three sons I named, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, the highest levels of dysfunction rising to the levels of rape within the family, murder within the family, and rebellion against the throne within your own family. You know, that's way worse than your kids getting bad grades in school. Way worse than that. But let's move. So, that, so they've given us a snapshot of David's house. Let's go to Abner. Let's go to now the house of Saul. And in verse 6, we see something happening. In contrast to the weakening condition of Saul's house, meaning each time David's house gives them a beat down on the field, they're getting weaker and weaker. But in contrast to that weakness, Abner's making moves. It says Abner is strengthening his position in the house of Saul. So basically in modern vernacular, Abner is running things. He basically is running this puppet king, Ishbosheth, and it basically leaves him as the power broker, and you're going to see that play out. And it is in verse 7 where we see the turning point to all of this. Verse 7 reads Now Saul had a concubine named Rizbah, daughter of Aiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Now, I want to give clear context to this. You, you know, like when you're a teenager and you break up with a girl and then you find out so-and-so is going with her and you see them and you're like, it's just this awkward feeling, right? <laughs> like, I don't even know what to do with myself. This isn't that. 
this accusation being leveled against Abner that you have now slept with my father's, my dead father's concubine is tantamount to treason. It is more than the morality of what is done. It's more than the physicality of it. It is you are now making a move on the throne. That's what it's considered. So he is confronted, Abner, here, right here, in these few small verses, and you see his hubris, you see his reaction to what he's being thrown at. He said, am I a dog? Now, you know, in this culture, dogs are not like we have here, right? Dogs are not sitting in the front seat of the car with you, dressed in a vest. That's not in that culture. That doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, dogs were like a rat. They were scavengers. They were low in form. And here, he says, am I a dog's head? And actually, I think in the NIV, that came from Judah. What's he pointing to in Judah? David. And now he vehemently defends the fact that, hey, man, I've been there from the get-go. I have defended your family. I have defended the king Saul. I have not wavered in that at all. And I could have gave you up and I never did. I could have gave you up and I didn't. So he is in this vehement defense and in verse nine, verse nine is basically he puts a curse on himself. He said, may God curse me. And this is the whole turning point that led us to those last verses that I read first. He said, may God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba, which is another way of saying all of it. And look what verse 11 says. And this shows the timidity of Ishbosheth. If Ishbosheth did not dare say another word to Abner. Now, to, if, we, if he was a different king, Abner would be dead. Boom, call the guards, kill that man. Who's next up for captain? That's how it should have went. But Ishbosheth was afraid. And I, I would imagine that when you see Ishbosheth, he is not like Jonathan. You don't see the name of Ishbosheth named on the battlefield. Ishbosheth was like a house royal, if you would. You understand? So, so where Abner has been salty and has experienced and a type of worldliness, Ishbosheth has none of that. And he can't really come up against Abner. And right after this point in verse 9, things move quickly. Abner sends messengers to David. Hey, man, let's make this happen. I, I, I want to bring everybody together for you, right? And um, Abner sends this to David. The messengers come back to Abner and basically say, hey, yes, cool. David responds, I want the daughter of Saul, Micah. He refers to him with Abner as the daughter of Saul. David sends some messengers to Ishbosheth, and what does he say? Yo, I want my wife back. 
right? The two messages go, two sets of messengers, and you see the difference in the text and how it reads. I want my wife back. Send me the daughter of Saul. Now, yes, it was his first wife. Yes, he did love her. Yes, she actually helped him get out from under Saul. She helped him, remember that? Way in the beginning. Escape in the, in the darkness of night, right? She helped him. But realize this. His reuniting with her is going to help that alliance of, hey, man, I, I got one of your countrymen as my wife. Right? The house of Benjamin is Saul's house. The tribe of Benjamin, I should say. Right? That, that, look, we're, we're all together here. So you, David, even though God in his providence is making things happen, as we see, and we should never lose sight of that. God in his providence is making things happen. This is, this is what, the, what it looks like on the ground. Now, when this is all said and done, we end up where we end up at those last two verses. But before we end this, I, there's just a few observations. Because it, it pretty much ends pretty quickly after this. Once the messengers exchange, what do we see? We see that <clears throat> basically Abner has such an audience with the tribes, with the clans, he has an audience with the elders. He has an audience with the tribe of Benjamin. And he is able to basically influence them and say, hey, man, David's our guy. Now, I, I, a few things I want to point out. And this is very important. When I looked at this, it, it kind of it, it boggled me and it bothered me. Obedience has no feelings. Obedience has no feelings. That's not, I'm not making a profound statement. We see Abner, who for seven years has been serving Ishbosheth in a very kind of unreal way, probably to his own gain, while war is going on. And Ishbosheth all of a sudden turns around because he's confronted and says, you know what? Give me my ball. <laughs> I'm leaving the game. And it confounded me a little bit. And I'm like, but really him saying, I will bring the tribes to bear under David is exactly God's plan. It's exactly God's plan. When the Pharisees plotted against Jesus and put him on a cross, what does Peter say in Acts? According to the plan God. This didn't happen by accident. Your, Abner, your little wheeling and dealing worked into God's plan, into God's history. It wasn't accidental, but I want you to see something. Abner has this change of heart. They don't really talk about it. He, basically, he, he does a complete about face. And I'm, as the reader, I was wanting a little more. I don't know, I just, I wanted him like to look up to heaven. I, I, I wanted some act of contrition. You know, I wanted the, the, the Hallmark Orchestra to start like playing something. You, you want, this is such an extreme turnaround after seven years of war, of having your own countrymen spill their blood 
as they fight their own countrymen. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can't figure this out. And I'm like, and I'm, this has no feelings. It is very objective and it's very clear. And I, it's important to speak about this because when we, we, we talk about feelings, we're in a realm now, and you guys know this, and I'm not going to be culture preachy now, but really feelings is the tail that's wagging the dog right now, right? Feelings. Feelings is what's changing medical policy. It's changing school policies. It's changing law. Feelings. In other words, when the child says, you know what, I feel like a cat today. Can you get me a litter box? I'm going to just start peeing and pooping right there. You can't say that those feelings are incorrect. You can't even correct it. So, I, you know, we have to look at what does that feelings mean? And I, and I say, well, yeah, that's, we know that. We all know that. And I hope you're keeping up with that. But does that affect us in the church? You know, nobody will ever say, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Nobody says that. I'm going to tell you what they do say. I feel embarrassed. I won't get involved. I feel a little nervous. I feel I'm not ready. I feel I don't know enough. I don't know enough scripture. I feel awkward. I feel tired. I feel they won't like me. I'm talking about within the church. And basically, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. That's what we see happening in the church. Now, it's very easy for you to say, and I said the same thing. Wait a minute, David. Abner is an opportunist. Abner saw the writing on the wall. Abner saw the circumstances change. And I will tell you that if you have been coming to church casually, if you have not been fostering your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't even say hi to your brothers and sisters and try to foster a relationship within the body of Christ, and all of a sudden somebody dear to you you find is in the hospital in critical condition, that circumstance has changed your casual nature. Circumstances work for us all the time. If you find your child is, I'm seeing signs of drug play here, I'm seeing all the paraphernalia, and you see your kid is slipping down this road, the casual is out. And I become purposeful in what I'm doing. And it's a circumstance, just like Abner, that causes me to change. It actually causes me to get on my knees. That's exactly what it does. So we don't give excuse to it. We look at it and we say, doggone it, Abner, you freaking are just like me. Just like me. Circumstances wake us up. Amen? Second thing, Abner knew the word of God. In other words, he knew God's word regarding David, Israel, 
the kingdom and God's plan in all of that. Why do I say that? Because in 17, when Abner appeals to the elders, what does it say? Look at 17. It says, Abner conferred with the elders of, of Israel and said, for some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now, I'm going to pause there. Now, look. Abner has influence and sway with all of these people. Abner could have said, hey, man, listen, it, it's not looking good. You know, we, we, we really can't seem to stand again. They're using this kind of funky fighting technique. We, we just can't make it. He could have said anything. Look what he says. Now do it, verse 18. I'm reading from the NIV on, in this verse, by the way. For the Lord promised David, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the, from the hand of all their enemies. What, what? Was he in the room when Samuel poured the oil on him? He is going right back to God's word and God's plan, and he had it on the shelf for seven years. Seven and a half years while his countrymen fought. And now he appeals to the elders with the very word he knew. He knew the word. Now listen, Abner's whole army has been decimated from the last battle when Saul fell. Abner knew he was losing battles. Abner knew that there's still Philistines and other enemies about. And Abner makes this appeal from the word of God directly to these folks. And what's odd about this is that obeying God's word seven years earlier would have benefited him. And that's what we don't see. We, we, we shelf God. We know him. And we put him on the shelf like he would not benefit you that he is not looking out for your best, that he is not trying to keep the enemies away from you. But we put them on the shelf and we serve ourselves for a couple of years. And, and another point to make with that is, listen, you could shelf them for a week, you could be casual about them for another month, and you blink your eye and years have gone by. And you no longer know the Lord you knew. Keep that in mind. So, like Abner, I'm going to tell you, like he told the elders, go do it. You know this truth? Go do it. I, and I don't want to make this some kind of ethereal kind of thing. Go do wor the word of God, which you know. Ah, I don't read the word of God. I don't know. Oh, yes, you do. If you are regenerated by the spirit of the living God, God has put his heart in you. He has put his mind in you. So if you're walking around with, a, if your marriage is limping along, fix it. If you've got relationships that are crap, fix it. It's not because, oh, I know the, the scripture that says I should fix these relationships. No, because the living God is in you and you know otherwise you know it go do it go do it and I'm going to close with this last point I started out with the feasts because the feast that is had after the exchange of all these messengers
where now Abner comes into the midst of David. And let's, let's go back to that. It says in verse 20, David made a feast for Abner. Now we know David is a, is a, is a type of Christ. And I want you to keep that in mind. Look, look at this. David makes a feast for Abner. David knows exactly who Abner is. David know that Abner was the key part of this warring faction of the North. Abner was probably whom the decision was made to keep warring. And David invites him in and come sup with me. It is such a beautiful picture of David like Christ calling us to the table, come and meet with me and dine with me. Don't, don't, there's no fight here. It's, it's actually a celebration. It's a beautiful celebration. Look, there's more. It says, then Abner said to David, let me go at once and assemble all Israel for the Lord my king so that they may make a covenant with you. Let me tell you something. Christ knows exactly who you are. He knows. I, I, you got, you, by the way, you put on an excellent front here. I want to just let you know. But Christ knows who you are. And you're invited to that table. And at that table, he says this, because the covenant has already been signed. There was no place for you to sign the covenant. Here he's asking for a covenant to bring all of Israel and they make a covenant, a pact, an agreement that is usually binding by death. That death already occurred on the cross. The place that you would have signed has Jesus' blood on it. It's done. And he invites you to that table to say, come on, I'm reminding you of the covenant that we had when I bore your sins on the cross. I'm reminding you. And as brothers and sisters, we have to remind each other of that covenant so that we don't get into this world grind and act like this is it. Because it's not. It's not. There is a covenant, this beautiful picture of sin being paid for, of the restoration of fellowship with a holy God who has really no business looking at us, yet Christ covered that so that we could be in relationship with him. Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I'm going to ask you, are you like Abner? Abner covers a lot of ground, that, the character of Abner. It talks to everyone, whether you are a Christian or not. And if you're a Christian, I think it talks to us more. Because Abner knew the word. He was able to recite it very clearly to elders and the tribe of Benjamin, very clearly. Have you put it on the shelf? During that seven years, Abner was serving himself. Are you serving yourself? It's a fair question. Are you serving yourself to the point where you have neglected the living and true God? 
Ask yourself that question. And if you don't know God, I will tell you that when you walk outside, you see him in every bird chirping, in every tree, every leaf that blows, and it calls you all the time. Have you had your sins forgiven? Have you had your sins forgiven by the only one who can damn you? The only one. No one else can. They can say words about you. They really can't get you that way, though. Have you turned over your life to Christ, Christian? Are you living like the, 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 the person that God has called you? And I, I, Listen, I, I know oftentimes it's said this is a... God has a plan for you. I'm going to flip that. If you have the spirit of God in you, you are part of God's plan. You are part of his plan, not the other way around. Are you living that life, Christian? Are we living in the spirit of the living God? He is in you. Please consider these questions as we close. Father, we thank you. You are glorious. I ask that uh, as you have let us participate in eternity through touching your word, I ask that you would search every heart here, Father. Search my own heart. As I looked at Abner, I felt convicted. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would work in your people, Father. Let us not be sleepy. Let us recognize that the word that you have sent to the world is life for us. You, O oh God, are glorious. Please help us to recognize that. Help us to humble ourselves before you, Father, so we could live lives according to your plan. <laughs> according to your glorious plan. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, listen, if uh, you got questions about God, about salvation, about backsliding, if you haven't been around to the altar, Pastor Lee, myself, Brother Joe, don't delay. Now is the time. It's always now. We're so sure of the guarantees of life. There are none. Newsflash, there are none. Except the true and living God, and he extends mercy to all who would accept it. Please do that. Amen. Amen.